Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again with another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, all right, Bud. So we've got a, a real fun evening of conversation planned here for everybody. So this will be uh, this necessarily won't be one of the more enjoyable podcasts that we've done, but look forward to uh, kind of recapping Saturday, trying to make sense of what's possible with the rest of the season moving forward, trying to interpret some of the. Uh, things that have been said about the program from the coaching staff and just trying to uh, to make sense of, of three games so far that have been, uh, you know, nothing short of uh, utterly disappointing. But uh, one thing that's not disappointing is uh, our sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, one fantastic uh, podcast uh, partner, and just people that we're very fortunate to be able to work with and uh, lethal simplicity something that they uh they market and something that they deliver on and something that uh i'm particularly appreciative of of being able to work with them no doubt man great product and let's let's open tonight with a discussion of willie taggart's press conference today uh came in you know read a statement uh, that said that he understood that you know the product on the field is uh is not acceptable and that uh, you know florida state program is a storied one and you know, a lot of tradition and, and uh, fans of every right to be angry, uh, you know, as they still support the players and uh, that they're doing everything they can to sort of evaluate where they are right now and uh, and figure out some solutions. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a, a pretty just open and honest press conference uh, from from Willie uh, and, and, you know, pretty forthcoming uh, for a guy who, you know, I guess some might expect to be a little more on the defensive uh, right now, but, you know, he's not. I think he's uh, experiencing probably – Probably a lot of emotions. Um, and one of the main things he talked about was was staying together as a team. Um, you know, this is something that it may seem trivial, but I assure you it's not. And there's a reason they did all those all those team building activities over the summer, right? And 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 went away to IMG and all that kind of stuff, because this team really had a lot of a lot of clicks and, and fractured elements to it in previous years. And and he said, you know, it's something we we gotta we gotta prevent. We we really have to stay together at all costs. I certainly can appreciate that, and uh, I can understand where he would want that, and I get it, and uh, I think that the general fan base would want that. Um, I will say, and I'd make no claims that I played football on an exceptionally high level, but uh, I did play it enough and uh, for long enough to know that, man, you can have exceptionally good team chemistry. And you can do everything that you want to to try to instill that and and have buy-in, but if you've got an offense that's going three and out and eight out of nine possessions, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have people that get frustrated with each other. You're going to have people on different sides of the ball that start to bark. Uh, you just, it, it's kind of inevitable. And uh, I, you know, I agree with him and I'm not trying to, uh, to water down what he's saying. It's very much critical and a, a team particularly that's previously been fractured to try to stay together. But uh it's going to be it's going to be a real challenge, uh, both with the remaining opponents on the schedule and also with uh, seemingly a little bit of a you know disproportionate uh, level of performance that you may be getting from one side of the ball and the other. No doubt, man. I mean, it's uh, it's a tough one, and I don't. I'm, I, I clearly it's it's a noble goal uh, to to do, but I I don't know that he's going to be able to prevent it because I, I don't know the offense is going to get a whole lot better. And I'm sure the defense w- will get frustrated with those guys on the offense. Um, but they shouldn't necessarily be uh, all that surprised at how the offense is going 
considering who is in there on the offensive line right now. And, uh, you know, today I dropped a big-time article on TomahawkNation.com. It's probably one of the, the more widely read ones I've ever done in, in my 10 years of doing this. And uh, it was on you know, how Florida State's offensive line got to where they are, right? So I went back and I looked at every player they've signed over the last four years and and looked at kind of the root causes of this. And people don't want to hear this, but a large portion of this has been injury, not just this year, but but over the, the previous couple of years as well. Uh, now, granted, this offensive line is much worse than anything we've seen, I think, in the last decade or so, right? The 07, 06 offensive line was, was pretty rough, but this is worse, I think. Um, and it's largely because of, of who you have in there, and more importantly, because of who you don't. You know, you have you had Landon Dickerson at right tackle. He's a guard. He's now out with injury. His replacement, Derek Kelly, was also a guard. He's now out with injury. His replacement at guard is Arthur Williams, who has never played guard before and was a defensive lineman for four years and just moved over, in the, it, not in the spring, but in the fall for death purposes. So now Kelly's out. Uh, and, and you got potentially Abdul Bello, who was a high a high upside prospect, but not one with a high floor. He never really developed under the old staff, so I, I would put that on the old staff. But he also had an ACL injury that really kind of hampered his development, I believe, at, at, a, at a time where he really needed to to get good coaching, be able to get good reps. He, he wasn't because he was rehabbing. You know, and I got Brady Scott, who's more of a, a guard-type body on the outside. And on the other side, you, know, you have Juwan Williams, who looked – Another high upside guy, maybe a little bit lower floor, but still a top 100 recruit. Wasn't developed really at all by the older staff. I think it was kind of written off by some people on, on that prior staff. And, and he, when he busted up his shoulder, you know, he lost a year of development as well, which hurt. So you can see it's kind of a, a, a several-year trend. They signed the number one offensive line recruiting class in the nation in 2016. And that thing has just had some incredibly bad injury luck, as well as you know some non-development by the prior staff, and we both we both heard, man, how bad the backups were throughout camp, right? And we even said it on our show, said, hey, if they lose a tackle, start predicting losses because they can barely run practice with these backups. And I think we even undershot it. It's worse than we could have imagined. It, it would be hard to imagine anything quite with the level of ineptitude. Now, um, I will be interested in, in if you agree with this. When I went back and watched the game, there was a window of time in that game where I thought the offensive line played okay, and that was from kind of like the middle of the first quarter to about halftime. And, and unfortunately, the, some other pieces around you didn't play great. And then it, you know, they, they didn't start off well at all, and then they, you know, had a utter meltdown in the second half. Uh so, you know, there's there's times where they look okay. I think there's times where there's a pocket there and your quarterback isn't comfortable stepping into it. And I don't want to go backwards. But what you said about uh, the 2016 class is really something that I've been looking at. I mean, you, you signed that class. It's been nothing but a disappointment and maybe even more disappointing than that. I think you thought that class was like your, your panacea to your offensive line problems. And you'd you didn't have a class of 2017, more or less. You signed one kid, and you just can't do that. You can't put all your eggs in one basket, particularly when you go back and you look at some of the eggs that made up that basket and and injury history and other things. I will be very critical of the current coaching staff, and and there's some real things that they need to be asked of and and questions that uh, have to be provided, but there was a a real – 
real kind of uh, a, a lack of uh, due diligence or a derelict of duty when it comes to what happened with this program in this position, and it's not necessarily a new phenomenon. Well, and to add on to that, they signed 10 kids between 2015 and 2016 classes. So they said, okay, we're going to take, take a small class in 2017, and the plan was to take a much bigger class in 2018. Well, as we all recall and we've chronicled, that staff basically stopped recruiting last year. So that you're basically two offensive line classes in a row. You know, last year they had to scramble. I think they did a great job, you know, for what they what they had to work with and, and how long they had to work with, um, which obviously wasn't long for any coach hired this offseason with, with the new early signing period. Uh, but, you know, that was kind of the reason why they did that in 2017. You know, and then to further make matters worse, you got Brock, Brock Rubel transferring in January, who you know, like a week before signing day, people were in my mentions today on Twitter and on email, hey, they should have went out and signed to JUCO. Okay, well. Not the way it works. I mean, yeah. okay, yeah, not the way it works. B, you also didn't really have a whole lot of notice, right? At that time, you still had Josh Ball. You had no idea Josh Ball was going to be booted for the team for you know dating violence, You know, although, I, again, I think that's the right call. And you had no idea that Rubel was going to transfer just a week before signing day. So that you know that, that's a major problem right there, out of your control. But that's where they're at right now. These guys in the offensive line right now just they just can't play. They're not they're not any good. I, I think they lack talent, physical in terms of, of strength and foot speed, especially at the tackle position. They're just slow there, man. They do not have the athletes at tackle to play right now. And, and Willie Taggart had some comments today. I thought he was trying to be as honest as he could while also not dogging out his players, you know. Here's some things that I think are hinting at what we're talking about. Quote, developing them quicker than we wanted to. That speaks very much to, hey guys, we got a lot of guys in here right now who and we really like could not have thought would be playing significant minutes for us. And I think honestly, if we're being honest, truth serum time, we knew we'd be in major trouble if they were playing. Another quote, some guys were, were playing weren't expected to play on the offensive line. He was asked about burning a red shirt on the offensive line. Anything's possible. You know, we'll have to see. And then he also spoke about offensive linemen panicking, right, and losing their technique. And I, I think you saw you saw that more in the second half of that Syracuse game. I, I agree with you that there were a couple stretches where they didn't play terribly. Now, granted, it's Syracuse's defense, which is a bad defense. So I'm very, very reluctant to say, you know, hey, they're playing well. I mean, the guys they're playing against are not any good. Uh, and yet they look like all Americans at times. <laughs> against FSU's offensive line, you know, but you have John Williams out there basically having a meltdown and just totally like forgetting his technique and all of a sudden his his setup on his pass protections are, are they don't make any sense. It's just not uh, not what you need. And it's just so hard to get anything done. I mean, we, we talk about, hey, they can make this adjustment, they can make that adjustment. And I know they've been trying a number of adjustments in games already. We, we've seen them, right? They, they put, in, put in more of the counter stuff to try against Syracuse. They ran it out the you know right off the bat and it didn't work because it got blown up again just in a different way. So I, I thought the offensive line comments were, were interesting. I, I do encourage you all to go read that article on Tomahawk uh, if you haven't already seen it. But uh, you know the, the offensive line is not a one year fix. Although there is a path with some luck, some development, and some better effort, I think, to being more of a passable unit that doesn't get you killed all the time. In, uh, in in the coming years, he also talked a little bit more a little more about uh, about DeAndre. Yeah, 
During the game, I, I tweeted that I wasn't sure that Francois is necessarily your best option if if this is the offense that you're trying to run with this offensive line. I don't know if I take that back, uh, but I just don't, you know, I don't know that there's going to be a great solution in, in changing who's under center or who's taking the ball out of shotgun at this point in time. There are some things that DeAndre does that is very, very frustrating to me. Uh, there's some missed reads. There's some plays where I think he's got to have a little bit more pocket awareness where, look, we don't do a great job of blocking it up, but there's times where there's some some space that he could step into and he could, you know, kind of move into the pocket and, and move into some natural throwing lanes that he doesn't. But, you know, what what ails this offense is unfortunately not, not the quarterback at this point in time. Willie said, uh, you know, he talked about, hey, we can move the pocket more with DeAndre, which is something other people have been asking for. Now, granted, look, guys, this offensive line can't handle basic pass protections right now. So moving the pocket is going to probably seem like like calculus to them, but we'll see. Maybe they can try that some. Uh, you know, he also said, hey, I'd rather have DeAndre take off than, than sit all day in the pocket, right? Like pick up some positive yards, get out there and run. And, and he's not the athlete he once was after the knee injury. He's also just not that good of a player anymore, guys. Like not that he ever really was that great. I think a lot of fans had misplaced hype on him. He's decent. He's not special. Well, he was the freshman conference player of the year. Oh, my so. God. Uh, yeah, I, I wish freshman, <laughs> freshman awards would just go away because they're such nonsense. Well, they're um, often often indicative of somebody that's playing on a bad team. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they're not, playing not necessarily the, the, the trail that we need to take the the conversation down. And, and yeah, look, you know, when, uh, part of the reason that we were skeptical as to whether or not he came back was, was based off the severity of injury. And that injury is not – anything to mess around with and uh it's legitimate and it has uh you know at least up to this point in time it has uh, seemingly had a significant impact on his mobility and what he feels comfortable doing and you know i mentioned you and i don't talk nearly as much in private conversation because we get things confused and it ends up impacting the the product of the podcast when we do record but man there there aren't going to be 25 yard gains with your quarterback this year you you you're more looking at somebody that can pick up you know maybe 7 to 13 7 to 15 yards if he makes the right read and he and he does what's necessary i i just think that there's some some real limitations there as far as what you're going to get out of his legs when he does decide to run doesn't mean that he can't do it or that he shouldn't do it. You've got to make the right read and you've got to uh, make this, you know, this defense play all 11 guys on the field. But the ceiling of uh, what's possible when he does keep it has been pretty dramatically altered post injury. I agree with that. You know, Taggart said, look, I'd rather have him hit, you know, like I, he's going to get hit. So I'd rather have him get hit, you know, when he sees it coming as opposed to, you know, getting hit on the blind side. He also spoke about, you know, like, like you mentioned, needing to climb the pocket, right? And that is, that's very true. Now, look, I get that DeAndre does not have much expectation of protection because, God, how could he? He's being hit, I mean, probably over half the time out there, right? At, at least, I mean, he's getting whacked a lot. But he is drifting away, throwing off his back foot. The mechanics are, are getting poor because of how much he's getting hit, I believe. But he's also screwing up the blocking angles for these tackles some. And they're already bad players, Right, they're not like they're bad players. They're not any good. They're not even close to FSU quality players, and there's very little hope that they're going to become anything better, in my opinion. Now, at the same time, man, you can't make them look worse than they already are by just sitting back there in a, in a gun and then taking you know four more steps back and then totally screwing up the blocking angles. At some point, if you're that deep, 
the, the, the defensive end never actually needs to go around the tackle. He can just basically take a, take a straight beeline for you because of, of how deep you are. You need to make sure that defensive end has to run around the tackle, which means stepping up in the pocket, at which there were times on Saturday which he had the opportunity to do, and he failed to do, and he got himself hit. So some of that's on him. You know, he also missed, missed some very wide open throws, which, you know, you, you can't have, especially with a guy who's not that mobile. But, you know, I go back to the preseason, man. We told everybody, look, none of these guys are, are playing all that great. There's not that big of a difference between them. They're not that special. And the coaching staff was like, hey, yeah, some separation. We'll see. You remember that? Remember those, those yeah, press conferences? Oh, certainly. And- certainly. And, I, and I think people mis- misinterpreted that, that we either weren't happy that Francois won or we weren't happy that – you know, he was going to be the quarterback. Man, that's not – we're not – trust me, we're not sitting here playing favorites as to who ends up playing playing ball for Florida State. Uh, that's just the, the stone-cold truth as to what the situation was. None of those guys looked great. None of them uh, had a fantastic grasp of the offense. And, and you know, I, th- I think the – not to keep tying this to the injury, but the – you know the injury has impacted what he's able to do physically, but it's also had a pretty big mental um, put a pretty big mental governor on him, in my opinion, as far as his understanding of the offense. And I don't know that he'll ever be great at making reads, but what he was able to do in in spring certainly didn't you know do him any favors or give him a a more intimate understanding as to what's ultimately needed at the quarterback position and, and what they're trying to do right now. So, you know, to, to me, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I do think, though, that I have some hope that DeAndre will get a better grasp of the scheme with more reps, right? I, there's not a lot of areas on this offense that I have hope for improvement, at least not major improvement. But I do think DeAndre has some chance to, to get better, um, you know, because of, because of that fact that, that he didn't get reps in spring. So there is a chance to me that maybe with more and more reps, he'll be able to improve some. And and hopefully he can do that. You know, I, I'm certainly rooting for the kid, even if people think we don't like him. That's not the case. We just don't think he's as good as, as some of the super fans think. You know, like we don't think he's going to get drafted. You know, maybe we'll be wrong on that. So can we have a broader conversation real quickly? And, and that is, um, what exactly is the scheme, bud? Because I'm, I'm kind of confused when I look at that. We're not really going fat we seem to be kind of having to deal with the worst of both situations that is that we don't really go fast and we're still pretty predictable and pretty simplistic in what we're trying to offer and ask and and you know maybe we may even be needing to streamline it even more but it it just seems like uh you know, we're not really that we either didn't install or we're not ready to take on the install of what this offense is. And we're kind of getting, you know, kind of getting the uh, the bad end of the stick on on both ends of the equation when it comes to, uh, you know, pace of play and, and maybe predictability of play. Sure. So I, I think the major things here are, number one, it's hard to go fast if, if it's second and 10, second and 12, right? You're not really taking advantage of the defense if you rush up to the line after that because the defense is not really going to be caught off guard by everything. You're, you're, you're instantly in a negative leverage down. So they're having to take more time to figure out plays to call on you know second and long. That's their major issue right now is that they're they're one of the – God, maybe the worst. I, I got to check the updated numbers. But first down is killing them. It's you know, DeAndre Francois leads the ACC in throws over 20 yards. Well, why? Because they got a million third and longs that he's having to try try to hit all these throws on. It's not really like a skill thing. It's a it's a necessity thing. 
Um, so you're right. They're, they're not able to go fast right now. They don't seem to have a great uh, comfort level in the scheme. Your quarterback doesn't seem real comfortable, I think, based on, A, knowledge of the offense, which, look, he did, he did miss spring mostly, but, you know, they, they seem to think he's the right guy. And then, B, you just, you just can't block anybody. And that is just getting them so off schedule that it's very tough to go tempo. So you're exactly right. It's kind of like the worst of both worlds. I might try to go even simpler, to be honest, and just start running the ball even more, and, and just try to it, it, you know try to get two yards on first down, man. Like just keep pounding the ball and just hope that something decent happens. You know, it, it'll get DeAndre hit a little bit less, and then also maybe some design runs for him. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense with you know him being injured, but man, right now the the passing game is not doing a whole lot. They can try to do more more quick passing, you know, but that's not something you can make your living on necessarily if you have a guy who's not real accurate, which he's not. You know, we'll see how, how that works. But uh, you know, more more quick game and, and more more pound in the run. But right now the, the scheme does not look at all like it looked the last three years under Willie Taggart, right? I mean, check this out. They were they rushed at Oregon and at USF both times. For 3,000-plus yards, man, this year they might not get over 1,000. Yeah, and, and such a large chunk of that came in one play against Virginia Tech. It is it is disturbing as to what they've gotten out of their running game so far. Absolutely. This is a running which, offense. and when you yeah, Exactly get- what I was going to say, which the whole, the whole operation is built around uh, – not necessarily even a power running game, although that's what they want to ultimately do, but it's all built around running and successfully putting yourself in better situations, and it's just not – it's a non-existent idea right now. And the thing is, it this idea that your guys are not getting physically beat, to me, is just coach speak. I'm sorry. I think that's just trying not, not, not to bag on your players. If you watch it, man, they are. They're not getting any movement at the point of the attack – and they uh, they they're they're not very quick, so they're getting beat beat to their spots. Um, your your offensive tackles got two or three players drafted on Saturday, and it wasn't because they were confused or anything else. It's just because they're physically incapable of blocking people, and they're going to have better tape than they would otherwise. Uh, and it's only so. going to get a lot worse from here because the, the schedule <laughs> ramps up. I'm serious. They, I'm, not, I'm not, not trying no, to get down. You're dead ass serious, and, and unfortunately, you're dead ass accurate. And uh, it's it's the truth. Absolutely. It gets worse, not better, because the competition on the schedule gets a lot better. Starting needed this weekend, to, by the way. Needed to bank your wins. Needed to bank your wins early. And uh, that'll be a conversation that we have later on uh, later on in the pod. Mr. Bud Elliott, today is the 17th of the month. Do you know what that means? I do, man. That means it's yes. Reuben Day. It is Reuben Day. And if you listen to it at this point, probably, uh, probably too late. But we just want to go ahead and continue to uh, remind people something that we've been talking about since the first day of our partnership with Madso. And it's a fantastic sandwich. Just one of the things that uh, that makes uh, For the Table Restaurant Group and Madison Social in particular uh, unique. And uh, if you're in the Tallahassee area, circle the 17th of each month. It is uh, very much worth your time. Not something that will leave you uh, disappointed or, or grasping for more. Absolutely, dude. They've been great sponsors for us. Madison Social Township Central, the For the Table Restaurant Group. Get the Ruben and Madso. Go over to Township. Have an awesome meal. Uh, just, hey, man, they keep doing their thing. Great trivia nights, by the way. 
at all three. So check them out. And uh, they're expanding uh, throughout the state. So very, uh, very excited about our new overlords, uh, Madison Social and For the Table <laughs> Restaurant Group. So, Bud, you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of people with their own individual inputs. And that doesn't mean that, you know, they're not right or anything else. But do you think... Uh, you know, do you think we see more Max Protect? Do you think they try to move the pocket around more? Uh, do you, what do you think there are things that they may try to do to, uh, you know, to allow them the best chances of success? So Taggart brought this up today. He said, look, you know, we, we did go Max Protect in that game. Sometimes it worked. Other times it didn't. The thing is, you, you can't go Max Protect all the time because at some point defenses are going to realize that. And what are they going to do? They're just going to say, "Oh, that's cute. Here you go. We're going to we're going to rush three and drop eight, and then we got eight defenders on three routes. Good luck with that. You, you need to be able to threaten the defense in multiple ways. You can't just can't just go max protect. I think there are some things that they can do. Number one, they can be better at taking some of the free yards through the quick game. I think they can do better on their bubble screens. I still think they need to throw those a little bit more, and uh, and the blo- the receivers need to be better at blocking. That's an area where I think." more reps, better technique, more experience in the system will help as opposed to the offensive line where I just think some of these guys are physically incapable of doing the job regardless of your experience. They can play for the next thousand years. I don't think it would matter. So you you could be, be better in the short passing game. Roll in the pocket? Yeah. I think that's something they could do some, but that's not the thing you do every every other pass play. That's the thing you roll out you know, a couple times a game. It's it's not a staple. It's it's a thing that you can try to keep the defense off balance. It, it's not your base. This is what I'm talking about, right? These are little tweaks. These are not. Hey, let's go to the rollout. Well, you know, Call the you, touchdown play, bud. When, when you roll out, you eliminate half the field, and also it's not as easy of a, a protection to to execute as people think, especially if neither of your offensive tackles can block. If you want to use it to avoid the one guy who can't block at all. And roll away, or hell, roll, roll to him and, and, and give him a devil. All right, but but if they both are terrible, I mean, <laughs> you, you want to roll right into pressure? So look, yeah, I, I think they'll try that, man. There's some stuff they can try. They've been trying stuff. People are like they they've made no adjustments so far. That that's not true. For instance, look at the first couple plays of the game. I didn't see them run run those counter plays against Virginia Tech or against Sanford. They put in new stuff they thought would work against Syracuse, and it got blown up. Big time. They, they made noticeable adjustments in the Sanford game and in the Syracuse game, and they didn't work. The difference is people, what people should say when they say they haven't made adjustments, should, should, they should say their adjustments have not worked, right? They have not been able to either execute them or, or, or trick the defense well enough, which, God, there's not a whole lot about this offense right now that would trick anybody. By the way, Sebastian Janikowski, just, I just saw this kicking on Monday Night Football. He is enormous, dude. <laughs> he's on the Seahawks now, and he, that guy is huge. He's uh, uh, eating up all the all the salmon and everything else that Seattle has to offer, huh? Yeah. Now, look, I, I think that you may want to go with more two-back sets, right? People say, put a fullback in there. They don't really have a fullback on this roster anymore. They, they don't have fullbacks. That's not part of the offense. Getting the eye formation is not something you're going to see this team do. It's just not It's not part of what, the, what they run. It's not part of the, the culture they're trying to establish. Now, could they go more two-back sets? Yeah, I think that's possible. You know, getting Akers and Patrick back there maybe could help. Could they go more two-tight end? Yeah, at times. I think the biggest thing might be just, just man, just commit to the run game, whether it's working or not, and just 
just tell your offensive lineman to be really aggressive, you know, because they're, they're making mistakes anyway. Just tell them to be real, real aggressive and, and go even more simple and just see if you can push the people around a little bit up front. But that, that's, God, I think more simple is probably not what people want to hear, but it might work, right? Is that, that your path to eight and three, bud? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, we're sure. talking about like maybe beating Wake Forest at this point. We're, I mean, it's uh, it's, a, it's a nasty situation. Well, we can talk path to the bowl wins. game if you want. I mean, we can say, hey, like here's how you get to a bowl game. Uh-huh. Do we want to do that? I'm I'm not sure. I I know what you're saying. Yes, it's not what I'm saying is it's not going to be a fun conversation. You need to go five and one against Northern Illinois, Louisville, NC State, Wake Forest, Boston College, and Florida. Because I think you have to assume at this point that you're going to lose to lose to Miami. You'll probably get killed by Notre Dame, uh, and you'll you'll probably get your doors blown off by Clemson. But we expect that anyway. I think. So if you assume you got three more losses coming against Miami, Clemson, Notre Dame, you don't really have much of a shot in those games. And I I think that's a decent bet. I mean, not a hundred percent lock, but you know, then you need to go five and one in your other six. That is really unlikely. If they were going to make a bowl, they they pretty much needed to beat Syracuse this weekend. I, I can't sit here and tell you that there's no chance to make a bowl, but I can tell you that their chance to make a bowl was pretty significantly reduced. And if they had beaten Syracuse, I probably would have, would have predicted them to to make a bowl. Um, they are 10-point favorites over Northern Illinois this weekend. And you might say, how on earth can a team that has only scored 10 points total against FBS teams be favored by 10 uh, but I will tell you that uh, Northern Illinois' offense is uh, 130th in the nation in yards per play. So they are literally dead last uh, in yards per play. Uh, Florida State's like 100, I think they're 123rd or something like that. Um, so that's not good at all. But uh, they're they're always worse unless you're unless you're Northern Illinois, and then then there's not. Both defenses are very strong. The total is a very NFL like 43. <laughs> Four, 43 points this weekend, man. Very Spartan 43 points. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's rough. So that, that is your uh, path to a bowl, uh, which is tough. Not yeah, impossible, about, but About unlikely. as enjoyable conversation as I thought it was going to be. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't put money on it at this point. Um, you want to talk special of, teams or penalties, or, or, or where do you want to go now? Real quickly, while we still have uh, the schedule somewhat in our mind fresh, at what point do you just say, F it, total youth movement? That I'm worried more about 2019 and 2020 than I am 2018. Okay, so to me, I'm already there. But I don't have to deal with boosters and whatnot. So I think right now, look, fans are going to be angry at Taggart regardless of whether this team goes 2-10, and 3-9, you know, 4-8, and 5-7. Right now, if he pulls off a bowl win at this point, I, I really got to tell you, I, I would be like, that would be one of the more impressive coaching jobs I did in recent memory. If they if they get to a bowl right now with this offensive line against one of the hardest schedules in the entire country, in my opinion, I think you 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 make the full forward focused decisions the next time you lose a game that is not Notre Dame, Miami, or Clemson. You know, like if you lost this weekend in Northern Illinois. One hundred percent. Hey, if you're not with us in you know for next year, if you're a senior or if you're an upperclassman who's not giving great effort, you know maybe not fully bought in to the new program. See you, right? We 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 need to focus on the guys who are going to be here in 2019 and 2020 because those are the years that we're going to have to be really you know, we're going to have to be much much better in. 
So I would say if it's me, I'm already doing it. But if it's him, it's probably the next time I lose a game that uh, that I need to win to become bowl eligible. So Northern Illinois, Louisville, you know, w- one of those types. Any particular position we see that at first? Uh, wide receiver is kind of one that sticks out in my head. Oh, but, for sure, uh, receiver. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Not something that uh, you know anybody listening or the vast majority of people listening necessarily want to see, but something that could be. Uh, could be here sooner than later. Um, like I hope they don't have to pull red shirts. You know what I mean? I'd like for for Jalen Goss to be able to, uh, to to continue, you know, like lifting and trying to put on the weight that that FSU needs him to put on in order to be a good player. I don't I don't think you want to see him in a game this year. I mean, unless you're going to make a bowl game out of it or something like that, right? But uh, hey, let me ask you this too. Kind of a crazy conspiracy theory that got floated at me today about a school that actually is not even FSU, but I, I thought it might apply to FSU. Do you think that some coaches are waiting to make to make coaching changes until after a kid plays in five games, so he can't take his red shirt, you know, after playing in just four, and uh, and, and transferring and saving the red shirt year? Because you're talking about in in season changes with assistants. No, no, co- or excuse me, quarterback changes. Quarterback change. Okay. For right. instance, if let's say you have a quarterback who's not really playing all that well, right, and. Uh, I don't know, maybe he's like a redshirt junior with a chance to get another redshirt or something like that, as long as he plays in four or fewer games, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you bench him, there's a good chance he transfers out and leaves, you know, leaving you with, hell, if you're in Nebraska, zero scholarship quarterbacks, right? Do you think you try to make sure that kid plays in uh, in five games so he cannot transfer before you make any kind of quarterback change? Mm. Assuming that yeah. the gap is not that big? Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. And I, you know, my real quick response is that if if that situation pertains to Florida State, I'm not sure that you would necessarily want to keep a series of action where you have Francois on the roster longer uh, otherwise. But when you just had Bailey Hawkman transfer and ultimately announced today that he's headed to Raleigh is a kind of a non non shocking end to that story. Yeah, uh, I could I could see where maybe that would be in the back of somebody's mind. Yeah, I do. So, this is all hypothetical, not something that right. No, know, God, we're not yeah. trying to hint. There's there's times on this podcast where we may talk about something that we can't come out straight and say, you know, X Y Z or whatever else. This is not one of them. Just uh, just something pertaining to a different program that you know may be a a different wrinkle that uh, that you see incorporated into the college football game with this new redshirt rule. Exactly right. All right, Inger. While it's hard to see a path to competent offensive line play this year, it's not hard to see a path to home ownership. Thanks to Resolution Home Loans. That's right. Resolution Home Loans. Chad and Shannon, great Knowles, no loan business. They want to get you a loan. They want to get it done fast because they know, look, man, you find the house you want, you don't have time to wait around for all this. That's why they have their almost home program. They want to close you fast with their guarantee, but they want to keep you informed throughout the process. So whether you're a first-time home buyer or an experienced home buyer, look, it's great to be informed. It's great to have good communication. When, when, when you don't have good communication, punts get blocked, loans fall through. They don't want that. They want to inform you every step of the way. They want to get it done quick, and they want to get you a great rate. How can you get in contact with them? That's a good question. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Where do we go from here? You want to talk special teams? I know that, that's something that's been bothering both of us. 
Yeah, something that we could talk about. And, and I, I think there's a, you know, we, we began the conversation with offensive line, and it's appropriate to do so. Um, and the offensive line is, you know, where you're kind of your alpha and omega when it comes to the problems with a, with a team. But the offensive line drastically lowers the the ceiling and drastically lowers what the best could be of this year. And it lowers it a hell of a lot. Uh, but the problem with having a ceiling conversation is there's not a whole lot of other things that are going on well with this program. Uh, there's parts of the defense that are playing pretty well, but by no means are you operating at any type of, uh, you know, maximum efficiency at any other place. And, and probably your most woeful example of that is, is whatever's going on with your special teams and in particular your punt team right now. Taggart spoke about the punt team today a lot, and, and uh, he was asked at his press conference, you know, what what's going on with the punt team, which is <laughs> a, a very good question because uh, not a lot is going on with the punt team right now. So basically what he said was uh, that a lot of the time their get-off time is not real good, which is – and get-off time is the, the time that it takes – for the punt to get off, right? Part of the thing, though, there is also that the blocking has not been very good. Taggart said they need to basically stay with their blocks better, essentially. And he said, look, that's something the offense needs to do better as well. They, they need to, I think the term he used was was strain for their blocks. And he, he explained you know, that the difficulties they were having in the punt game uh, in this game were not the same difficulties as the ones that they were having in the punt game against Virginia Tech. Uh, in which they had a punt blocked. In that case, you had a player just literally not block the guy right in front of him, as it was explained, which is, of course, uh, pretty concerning. You know. So, anyway, a lot, lot to unpack there. There was a lot of, lot of angst on, on, uh, on social media this weekend about the, uh, the, the lack of a timeout call, or excuse me, not lack of a timeout call, but uh, the declining of a penalty on, on a punt by Logan Tyler, which a doesn't go very far. And B, Syracuse had a decent return on. And my thought was, I don't mind declining the penalty. My major concern there is the fact that they had to decline the penalty because they were worried that that damn thing almost got blocked and that yeah. they, they needed to sit down on the sideline and talk about that to make sure that if, if they redid that thing, that it would not get blocked. To me, that that is a, a very you know concerning thing right there. A couple that, times in this game where that almost happens, the the you know one of the other plays that people keep talking about is the ball where uh, Hamza runs down and, and downs it. I don't know how that kick wasn't blocked. Uh, that that is dangerously close to having you know two two block punts in the, in the first half of both of the SBS games that you've played. I just you know I, in my opinion we need to seriously evaluate what we're doing there, and I, and I know it's different situations as far as where the pressure came from, but. We're I'm real, real skeptical as to if we have a sound understanding as to what we're trying to do when it comes to that part of the game. And look, it's real early to be complaining about individual coaches or anything else, but it is very disappointing that we have a full-time special teams coach. We've devoted one of those very valuable positions to that unit as a whole, and uh, so far that, that you know that hadn't paid many dividends. I mean, dude, yeah. That's a huge concern. It, it, it's <laughs> dude, yeah. You got, yeah. You got your own yeah, special that's, teams that's coach. Where 2018's going right now, dude. Yeah, like this is something that that's that's very concerning to me, right? Because this is not a year one scheme thing. This just looks like a unit that's not very well coached. The special teams, especially the punting unit. Now, granted, they've also been missing kicks uh, with, with with pretty concerning regularity. But man, 
this is just bad. And it's not like you're installing a brand new scheme on special teams or a brand new tempo. And it's not like all of your offensive linemen who are any good got hurt almost immediately, which is largely what I believe is causing the offense's issues. That's something that, that you've got to get fixed. And, and that there's really no excuse for that. You, you won't hear me criticize a new staff a whole lot in year one because I think that that's just it's not the prudent thing to do. You know, there, there's a lot of growing pains. But the special team stuff should not have growing pains that bad. I mean, they've had one punt blocked. They have almost had two more punts blocked. I, I think some people think three, but definitely two more. You know, they, they've not done a whole lot in the punt return game. They've had several special teams penalties already, which, look, you're going to have a couple, but good God. Uh, the, the special teams so far have been an abject disaster, and there's really no reason for it. They, they should be a lot better on special teams, and that is something I think they deserve a lot of criticism for immediately. Absolutely. Um, I do not pair Aguayo's difficulties with the special teams. Really, that's just a kid going out there who's not having a great thing. Now, people may call me an idiot for that or anything else, but there there may be like 30 coaches in the world who, I don't know, there may be 3,000, but they're, you know, I'm not a special team expert. I kicked in middle school. I, you know, that's, that doesn't qualify me to go and tell a kid about, you know, his leg swing or anything else. And I highly doubt that our coach of special teams is really breaking down what Aguayo is doing from a fundamental standpoint. To me, you either kind of have a kicker or you don't. But all the other aspects that are going on on that part of the field are exceptionally troublesome. I agree. And, uh, I'm, you know, it's, uh, it's something that needs to get improved uh, quicker, quicker than later. It really does. So, um, man, I, yeah, the special teams is it's just not good. I don't know what they can do as far as the uh, getting Logan's time to be better as far as his off time. I I, just, I don't know enough about punting and kicking to be able to tell you that, right? I never never did that. I, I never w- was involved in any of that. So I, I just I, I don't know. But he certainly got all the incentive in the world to to, to punt quicker, right? Because he sees the rush is getting at him. Uh, very quickly, <laughs> so that's uh, that's that's no good. I, I kind of wanted to, to to talk a couple things here. Number one, social media. We, we've had a couple people now ask us about this. Hey, you know, don't, don't you think that Jimbo's social media ban was a good idea? Now that you see some of these players saying on social media they don't you know appreciate the the hating and all that kind of stuff, and ultimately. The bigger questions have been about, hey, don't you think this is you know bad to have have these players caring about social media? And I got to tell you, folks, as someone who runs a, a, a huge website, these kids were never off social media in the social media ban. I can show you, which I won't because they're private messages, but DM after DM after DM of kids. Hey, why did you say this? Hey, this, hey, you know this this is not my fault. Hey, blah, blah, blah. This other kid is much worse than I am. Why don't you talk about him? I'm dead serious. Like, diving out their teammates in our in our mentions of our website. Not, not uh, mentions, he, rather, direct messages, because obviously yeah. they, they weren't allowed to say it publicly. But if you think for a second that the kids are, are paying more attention to social media now than they were before, get a clue. You're, you're just flat out wrong. They, they stopped also, contributing. They by no means stopped, they stopped contributing publicly. Right. Yeah. They stopped contributing, at least on one platform. They were still active on others, uh, but they they never stopped consuming stuff. So the idea that these kids would have been shielded from criticism or anything else 
uh, simply not the case and, and not correct in, uh, in an observation. Exactly right. So uh, pretty pretty silly there, uh, I, I think. But look, if you don't, if you didn't know, well, now you know. They also, yeah, they were always on Instagram and Snapchat constantly. These kids never got off that, and I think a lot of it was because they realized that Jimbo didn't really know about Instagram and Snapchat, so they could just continue to post on there uh, with, with with impunity. They just couldn't tweet. Um, you know, Twitter is probably the most popular social media, I guess. And a lot of them were still on Facebook, Facebooking things, to, at least as a couple years ago. And most kids don't use Facebook anymore. But yeah, the, the social media idea, Willie addressed it today and he said, basically, hey, if you don't play well, expect fans not to be real happy with you. Well, like, I mean, w- welcome to playing football <laughs> for Florida State, man. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, if you sign with Florida State or Alabama or Tennessee or Ohio State or something else. Oh, Tennessee, else, good God. That's just the case. I mean, you know, we say this a lot of times hyperbole, I'm not sure it is hyperbole. If Twitter existed, Chris Ricks' phone probably would have melted in his pocket. I mean, there's there's things that Florida State players have been, unfortunately, or, or however you want to phrase it, you're playing for basically a minor league football team, okay? And, uh, and that has always been the case. I don't think Florida State's director of social media did anybody favors, and I know that was a week ago, and we don't need to regress in our conversation, but... That's, you know, uh, if look, if you're a 41 a year old guy and you've had three bourbons and you start, you know, atting a 19 year old, you, you need to look at what's going on in your life and, and you need to seriously consider what the hell you're doing. But playing at a big time program is uh, comes with certain things and, and people being critical of your level of play is, is one of them. So uh, it's just kind of part and parcel for, for what comes when you play at one of these you know, blue blood, ultra competitive uh, major college football programs. Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. So I guess just to, uh, to end the night, um, we've already talked about kind of what, uh, what Willie can't say, right? Like he, he do, or, did I already say that line? Cause if not, I'll say it. The, I, I don't think so. I okay. Think so I, I remember I, I said it in my head or maybe in our, in our pre-show, but today when I was listening to his press conference, I was thinking, okay, this is the stuff he's saying, you know what he can't say? It's like, guys, are, are we watching the same game out there, right? Because these, these linemen just, they can't block anybody. Our quarterback's getting murdered on the field. We knew in in, in, in spring ball and, and in fall camp that, that these backups really couldn't play. And, and in my wildest dreams at my dream job, there's no way in hell I thought that we'd lose almost all of our most talented linemen to injury, you know, gosh, before the second week of the season. And – Flat out, we are just screwed, okay? We're going to try to make a tinker here and a tinker there. We're not going to throw away our year one install and, and, and to try and put a Band-Aid over this to, to go 4-8 and eight instead of 3-9, and nine. and uh, that's, that's just kind of it. But I, I really, you know, just kind of nod your head to let me know that we're watching the same game here, folks. We, we see that the issues are going on. Uh, so, I don't know. In my head, I kind of thought that would be kind of funny if, if he actually just came out and said that because – you know he's got to just be shaking his head when he's watching this film. Like, man, you know that sign and that, that that scene in Major League, right, where, where they're they're going through the paper, and then they they make that comment about the players. These guys just uh, uh, stink, right? You know. The other thing is is I wanted to talk about tonight is recruiting. Obviously, they need to do a good job in recruiting this year. That's something I think they will do. A lot of people overestimate the impact that recruiting. Uh, or that a single season has in recruiting. And I don't think that'll necessarily have a huge impact. Certainly some kids will be turned off if you go three and nine or four and eight. 
uh, but others will see an opportunity for immediate playing time. Um, looks like most of the recruits they have are sticking with them just fine. Mike Morris did flip to Michigan. If if uh, if you've been listening to the show, we've predicted that for for months, mainly because I don't think FSU actually wanted him that bad, at least not at defensive end. Offensive tackle recruiting, though, is is going to be important. Charles Cross uh, was reevaluated by 247, I think, and, and maybe some other sites. Now he's bumped up and pretty close to like a top 100 national player, which, look, is not a guarantee. It certainly helps to have a lot of, the, a lot of those type guys. I don't know that he's a day one starter type. I think he's a kid with a really high ceiling, but you know he plays in an offense that runs the ball a lot. I want to see what he can do in pass protection. Got to see if he's going to early enroll, but he certainly has the tools to be a really good player. And Dante Lucas, I think if he comes in in shape and if he comes in early as an early enrollee, but especially if he comes in in shape, right? And I mean like, you know, 315, 320, not 350, then he could be a legitimate starter right away because he has a lot of power and a lot more talent uh, than, than some of the guys on this roster. So JUCO recruiting, though, is, is an area we'll be looking into. And I don't really know big-time JUCO names for them right now. They were on one JUCO kid, but I think he ended up committing to, uh, to to USC a little while ago. Other than that, a lot of the JUCO names typically emerge later in the cycle for a variety of reasons, including the fact that a lot of the JUCO kids now actually redshirt their first year, so there's not a lot of film on them. And then also, of course, uh, grades. Most of these kids are in JUCO for a reason, and it's not behavior. It's usually grades because they didn't have academics coming out of high school, so. That's kind of my take on recruiting right now, but they do need to do a good job of recruiting to uh, get out of this offensive line mess. They also need to have just flat-out better injury luck. Well, you know, by no means uh, the most enjoyable pod that we've done recently, but uh, hopefully give people a better idea as far as our opinion and, and maybe what the rest of the season looks like or what you can ultimately try to take away from the season. Um, we'll be here. We'll We'll do this as we have for... Uh, damn near a decade now and uh, can continue to give our thoughts and you know hopefully tonight was uh, something that people can take away from or maybe make a little bit more sense as to what they see on their screens come Saturday but uh, it's going to be a challenge it's going to be uh, going to be a year that not a whole lot of people look back with fondness and I can understand where people are frustrated with that look you know this fan base kind of kind of went to their their happy place or their numb place or whatever you want to call it last year to try to try to get through a season that was utterly disappointing and nobody thought that that would necessarily be the case and certainly nobody wanted that to be the case in this year but that's uh you know certainly what's staring us straight in the eye so uh it'll be be interesting to see how this plays out what kind of ramifications it has on some of the uh the ancillary parts of the program as far as recruiting and general momentum and coaching staff buy-in and everything else. But uh, there's a whole lot of time for that and a whole lot of conversations to be had and things that we don't necessarily need to rush into at this moment. So, uh, Bud, as always, really enjoyed uh, doing this with you. Appreciate your time, and we'll uh, continue to to do this and look forward to uh, what we put out later on in the week. All right, Andrew. Good talking, buddy, and we will definitely have a great Northern Illinois preview uh, say that with a straight face. Uh, 
very very soon for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually be a part of it. I, I won't just keep outsourcing the preview parts of the podcast to Bud uh, anymore and, and look forward to uh, not being traveling around and, and being able to fully take part in the podcast. So uh, with that, Bud, we'll uh, bring this episode to an end. Ask that uh, if you feel comfortable doing so, please do give us a uh, five-star rating on iTunes. Any kind of social media support of our sponsors is fantastically appreciated, and uh, we look forward to talking to you later in the week.